This is This is the Pits. Welcome to This is the Pits. <laughs> We're fun. We're in such a fun mood today. I'll tell you what, I took the day off of work today because I'm sick. So it's going to be Anyway, extra this fun. is the Pits. My name is Michael Oberst <laughs> and uh, the other voice is Chelsea Greenwood. Um, we are here today to talk about the movie from 2007? 2007, yep. 2007, Ocean's 13. Um, this movie is, well, what is there to really say? I don't have to introduce much about it because we have done two Ocean's movies already. Yeah, this is our third Ocean movie and... I'm, I got to tell you, I'm glad that this is our last one. Not that this wasn't a good movie and not that the last two, even though 12 was a really bad movie, like I just am sick of talking, seeing the same characters over and over again. I agree. And you know what? I think that America agrees. Like it was such a great franchise. Three movies. Yeah. I mean, what more could you ask for? Three, three, two great movies, one pretty good movie by some measures. Yeah, um, yeah but you know, it just goes to show that, like, if you're going to make sequels, you need years in between. Because I think, like, the leap from Ocean's Eleven to Ocean's Thirteen is actually a really good one if you had to wait years to get into it. Yes. But having seen them now, like, watched three movies with the same cast in in four weeks is pretty intense. Yeah, it definitely is. I, I, But I still think that... You know, after a while, people are getting tired. And you know what's also interesting is when I was looking at the numbers for this. Should we get right into the numbers? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> should we just skip the whole thing? Um, I am curious. No. Are the numbers different than the first two? Because they had the same budget the first two movies. No, the second movie had way more, a higher budget. It had like a $120,000 budget. The first right. movie had a seventy-five. Oh, I'm sorry, $125 million budget. The first movie had a $75 million budget. This movie had an eighty-five million budget. Um, okay, but what I what I was noticing when I was looking at the box office is that there's a bunch of movies out at the same time that were uh, the third installment of a franchise. Pirates right. of the Caribbean: At World's End was out. That's the number three. Shrek the Third was out, mm. uh, and Spider-Man Three also was out. That's interesting. I would love to segue from here into the year of two thousand seven because it's actually a really interesting year creatively. Right. So 2007, it's interesting. I remember thinking in 2007, I was living in New York City and I thought the world had crumbled creatively and there was nothing interesting going on in the early 2000s. And I think that that's actually truly the case. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was going to I was concerned that you were going to say that's not true because I was going to be like, girl, it's true. That's no, it's happen. true. And it's so funny because I remember being like, oh, the early 2000s, what a boring time, like in pop culture and creatively and whatever. But it is 100% still true to this day. And when I was doing research on 2007, I remembered that it was actually the writer's strike started in 2007. So yes. it gave rise to the reality TV as we know it. So yes. like scripted now, like scripted television is back with so much vengeance. It's crazy and it is ultimately entertaining and you, you can't want for content. Whereas 2007 was the start of fucking a slog of of television and a slog of like a lack of creativity i don't know what was going on culturally that made it so bland but it was i think it's a combination of a few things and this is just pure conjecture mm. but that's what we're here for conject so, all over me oh oh <laughs> no uh -oh, no uh -oh. no <laughs> 
Um, so that's it. First of all, 2007 was the start of the stock market crash. Um, 2006, technically, but yeah, it was the start uh, yeah. of I was the recession. Right. Well, 2000, 2006 was when people started to realize, oh shit, I don't have money to pay for this everything. Yeah, exactly. 2007 is when they fully stopped paying for it and the, the repercussions started to, yeah. um, uh, what do you call it? R- roost? <laughs> yeah, the, the, anyway. the chickens came home to roost. Unemployment was at 5%, which is very high. Right. So we were starting to realize, A, that the war in Iraq was never going to end, mm-hmm. and B, that the you know economy was going to collapse, and C, TV was starting to get really popular in a way that it hadn't before, and the quality of TV was starting to get really popular in a way that it hadn't before, and so the writers go on strike, and we realize, oh shit, TV's really good now. And like that, I think that when the writer strike happened, that was sort of a turning point for TV Absolutely. and the quality of TV. Because but TV started Sprano- to go higher because people weren't leaving their house because they couldn't spend any money. Sure, and like The Sopranos ended, I think, in two thousand seven. Oh, so well, that was I've... a tragic time. Do our listeners know how you feel about The Sopranos? If they don't, then they don't love me. Because um, the truth is, it's The Sopranos is my favorite show. Mm. Um, but anyway, so. So I I think that it has something to do with sort of a combination of those things. Like, you know, it's just change. It's it's a changing time. You know, the the economy's bad. People don't know how to pay for things. And it's funny because if you ever like watch a TV show, and you know, I was just talking with my boyfriend last night, and he was saying how he was looking at all of the seasons. He's obsessed with Special Victims Unit, Law and Order. Who isn't? I know. And um, so he was looking at all of the seasons of it, and there's 25 episodes per season except for season nine. And I was like, I bet you season nine is 2007. What no. year is season And it was 2007. Yeah, crazy. Well, yeah, writer's strike. But, because okay, of writer's strike. Yeah. I have two things to say. I think you're spot on with that, and I just think it's really funny because I remember also being in the late 90s, early 2000s, and being like, nothing cool and creative is ever happening. And then I look back, and I'm like, actually, there was a lot of shit going on. Not the case We were just for ignorant. This. Second thing I'd like to say that the thing about Law and Order SVU is I'm not going to be watching it back and forth. Like I'm not the kind of gal who's going to like consistently watch them. But every time it's on, I enjoy the fuck out of it. No matter what the episode is. And it's such a dream to have that longstanding thing. Um, It is. It's a consistent friend. Same with The Office, which also the quality went down severely in 2007 when the writer's strike happened. mm. Uh, It never really came back to its full... Full zhuzh, but yeah, it's interesting. Okay. It's interesting because 2007 was so recently in our lives. Where were you in 2007? I was just about to start high school. I oh started high school in 2007. Actually, I started high school in 2007. That's funny. I was just about to graduate from college. Damn. I was. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was. Okay, so let me sh- tell you a few little things. But one of the facts I read about 2007 was the last Harry Potter book was published that year. Harry Potter oh, nice. and the Deathly Hallows. And I was a diehard Harry Potter reader. I don't know where the movies were at that point, but they hadn't caught up to the books, obviously, because the book hadn't come out yet. And I remember so well the day that that book came out, I purchased it in the evening, and then I was going to open my coffee shop. I was working at a coffee shop in Dumbo, Brooklyn, and I went to the coffee shop early by an hour. So I got there at 5 a.m. We opened at 7 I usually got there at six. I got there at five. I turned on all the lights. I put on classical music in my empty coffee shop and I started reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So 2007 Chelsea Greenwood was a barista 
pot smoking wow. barista, Harry Potter freak, living in Brooklyn, fucking and sucking. Wow, we probably wouldn't have been friends. No, 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 no. I mean, we I, were in I, very I was cool. I was hip. I was cool. You know, I was super cool too because I was fully obsessed with Green Day in 2007. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> crippling. You, that's obsession. That's that ain't cool, honey. I was <laughs> listening to wow. Fleet Foxes. Wow. The first. I'm very sure of yourself, <laughs> Harry Potter goddess. <laughs> the first Fleet Foxes album came out that year, and I fucking loved it. And I would also open yeah. a coffee shop to that every week. Anyway. You know what else came out? I don't know if it came out that year, but it was out at that time. And I was super into it. It was um, MGMT, their first album. Oh, my God. Electric Feel. Uh, like, was that their album title? Was, I know it had... That was that hit. If I fucking hear that song. Electric again. Feel. Yeah. I love that song. Fun fact, I performed that song at a talent <laughs> show at Bible Camp. No, Michael. We could not have yeah. been farther apart. From with, each other. With, it was, you know what? It was a cool Bible camp. I got news for you. It wasn't, honey. <laughs> no, Linda. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Everyone had to get new names. We all got new fun names. My oh name my was um, uh, Emperor Zerg from Toy Story. God, that's so cool. It was super cool. That made it sound less cool, but it. <laughs> I can't Fuck, wait to revisit not this. <laughs> yeah. How, how about I deflect back to a few facts about 2007? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Because um, there's not a lot, but there's some fun things. Nancy Pelosi became the first female speaker of the United States House of Representatives. May she oh, live on and prosper forever. Um, in tech news, the first iPhone came out, and it was on the cover of every magazine, revolutionizing we did not have touchscreen technology in the palms of our hands until the iPhone came out. Wow. Fucking world-changing. Genuinely world-changing smartphones and the life as we know it. So that, I think, they came out on June 29th, and they continue to come out every September. I remember not understanding it. I remember all. my friend Atticus had one, and I was so fucking jealous. I had a BlackBerry, and all I wanted in the world was a touchscreen phone. But it's funny because... You know, Apple just had a big announcement yesterday about their streaming services and their credit card, et cetera. And everybody in my office was talking about it. Like, remember when they came out with the fucking iPhone and like they made announcements and it was just like, well, the world is going to change every time fucking Steve Jobs opens his mouth. And now it's just like, we have a redesign and Oprah is going to work for us. Yeah. 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 Now their announcements are just like, like any company. It's just not exciting anymore. It used to be so exciting. People would travel from all over the world for the new iPhone. Yeah. It's pretty cool, though, because at some point, there is going to be another invention that is as earth-shattering as the iPhone is. But I digress. I digress. And you know what it's going to be? This podcast. That's exactly right, Michael. (laughs) Hello, 27 (laughs) listeners. Actually, I'm going to give them 69 listeners. Hello, 69 listeners. We have a good amount now. We have a, a steady listenership. Hello, all um, of you. We appreciate you. Okay, a few more facts. This is an interesting thing that made me giggle, and I never knew about it in the time. On July 21st, Vice President Dick Cheney served as acting president for two and a half hours while President George W. Bush underwent a colonoscopy. Gross. <laughs> Don't know why, but listen. Gross. And Dick Cheney uh, will never not be the guy who shot another man. Yeah, we only did that last episode. Um, it's true, but that's all I can think about. On September 25th, Halo 3 was released, breaking all previous oh, records in yeah. entertainment history by generating $170 million in the first 24 hours. It was that's the most the successful game was video playing. game until 
like it was the most immediately successful video game that had ever been released at that point. Do you know what else I was thinking about is the video game uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, mm. which I think be, it, it must have shattered any records previously set. Um, it was addictive, but there was this weird thing that happened in the middle in the beginning that nobody even like really flinched at. Do you remember this? No. Where at the very beginning of the game. I was playing Wii at this point still. Right. Still bowling. Yeah. Still bowling. Queen still of Still with bowling. your fucking bowling bowling ball. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. But what happened at the beginning of this game was like you walk into an airport with your friends and you just shoot hundreds of civilians and you like the first level of the game, you're a terrorist and you mm. shoot civilians in the airport. And that was the most popular game maybe of all time. It's really interesting that you should say <laughs> and that. Nobody finished. Everyone just did it. So I'm going to get us cl- closer and closer to the movie and the topic at hand of this podcast, which is Brad Pitt. It's right. interesting that you say that. This is going to be a sideways segue, but it's a segue nonetheless. Genocide was happening big time. The Darfur situation was going on. And so during the press for this movie, all Brad Pitt and all of his classmates could talk about was the Darfur crisis because Don Cheadle had just been in Hotel Rwanda etc and right, that right. was a genocide of the people and now we now have north sudan and south sudan oceans 13 vegas <laughs> how'd that segue go really uh rocky but we're here now <laughs> it's okay my modern warfare 2 anecdote was convoluted at best <laughs> no but it's it is interesting because people still talk about all the time like that was like a hotbed of topic of like do video games make kids more brutal? Do video games make kids actually shoot kids in in schools and like in the in modern times now? It's like no. You give a kid a gun, they're going to fucking use it regardless of what they're playing. It's the gun that makes them violent, not the game. It's the gun that makes them shoot things. I feel like you can be violent. Kids are violent. Boys specifically are violent. My brother used to chase me around with a knife. Now he's a little peaceful guy. Nice. Well, that's. I'm glad that changed. There, I have this home video of me standing like this for those um, for people listening. I'm standing. I'm sitting on. It's hard to explain really what I'm doing He's here. My hand him. is in a fist, yeah. and my pen is pointed here, away let me from my head. You. Okay. Pose. Great. Great. Anyway, when I was younger, there's a a home video I have of me talking and holding a knife like outward, away from my face, like just like holding it. My brother wanted to be in the video, so he pops his head into the video, and his <laughs> he stabs himself in the side of the head <gasps> with the knife that I was holding. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! Is he okay? And in the video, it's uh, yeah, he's fine. In the video, it's funny because it barely touches him, but he's trying to be all funny and like hits it, and it's so stupid. Anyway, uh, I'm zero for two on the anecdotes right now. Let's just talk about Ocean's Thirteen. Okay, what was your general vibes? My general vibe, first thought, I don't want to watch another Oceans movie. That's what my first thought was. Yes. I felt the same way, but I have to say, I kind of was happy to settle into it from the second it started because already the minute it started, I was like, this is already better. My first note is, I, this yes. is, I was I like, too. the minute it started, my very first note was already more considerate than 12. Graphics are much better from the get and I'm already sucked in. 
in a way yes. it wasn't in the last one. Yeah, and it, the pay thing was back to how it should be. Yeah, where it was, the 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 setup was interesting. It didn't feel like super repetitive. The stakes felt high. The bad guy felt bad. It just was like. The bad guy felt bad, but what I liked about this movie in general was there was a bit of, that was my second note. I like that there's an ethos to the storyline. Like, the guys aren't in it for money. They're yeah. in it for love. Like, they're in it for a revenge of someone that they love. Yes, and a, a, a revenge, I wrote something about that too. Like, uh, maybe I didn't. But revenge is more interesting to watch than just, like, greed, I guess. Yeah, I think so. You know? I mean, Totally. For the first one, it made sense because he had just gotten out of prison. And so it was like, and he wanted to win his wife back. The second one, there was literally no reason for it. Oh, there was that fucked up. We're going to give you the money we stole. I thought that there was, there were, yeah. there were a lot, maybe a few too many twists and turns in this movie, but everyone I was sort of excited about, you know, like when Andy Garcia comes back, you're like, oh, but I was glad that he was in it. I was glad that he was in it too, genuinely, and I was glad I that Julia her, Roberts her. wasn't in it. They they tried to put her in it, but she wouldn't do it without a bigger role, so she didn't do it. Mm. Thank God, thank God, well, she had the. Um, it's funny too because it shows you what a boys' club it is. Because with every article I read about this, every like press clipping I read was like, we it, we're either all in it, it's all for one and one for all. Like we're either all doing it or we're, none of us are doing it. But that yeah. only applied to the male cast members. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah, because within the first two minutes of the movie when we see Rusty and, and Ocean talking, the first thing they acknowledge is why their wives aren't there. Okay, but to be fair, yeah, right? Well, to be fair, though, the original Ocean's Eleven, I don't think that included Julia Roberts. Yeah, it did. She was one of the Eleven? No. Oh, you mean like the clan. The number 11, yeah, the 11 people did not include her. And also, the 12 people did not include her. Yeah, yes, they did. She played Julia Roberts as Julia no, Roberts. She, yeah, she, she did, but was she it. part of the Was she part of the 12? That they Did they count her as one of the 12, or was it that, that additional dude? I don't know. Regardless, when they're giving press on the movie, they're talking about the cast, not the gang within the movie. Right. Well, that's, I mean... Yeah, well, that's a little boys clubby. That's what you get. Listen, I I ain't gonna be mad about it because it is a boys club and whatever. Sometimes you gotta be this okay with the boys club. This movie is a boys club. This movie is a boys clubby movie, though. Okay, you know, like, I might get in trouble for this, but I think it's okay to have a fucking boys club every once in a while. I have a girls club every day of my totally life. Totally agree. Sometimes I it's okay so to have a sausage fest. Some stories are just stories for boys. Yeah, or not for boys, but about boys at the very least. Right, that's that's what I meant. However, that's, I said it in a problematic way, but yeah, you're I right. I said two steps forward. I'm going to take one step back here with my biggest problem with the whole movie, which was the fucking hormone juice <laughs> that the assistant Oh my god. Wait a minute. What the fuck was that? And then I'm going to rescind everything I just said. All of a sudden, we have this horny, 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 very smart, intelligent girl who literally loses her shit because Brad Pitt, ha Pitt I mean, sorry, Matt Damon has some magical love potion number nine that he puts on his neck. That what whole the thing hell pissed was me that? right off. We didn't need that. It was such a weak, weak, like, plot device. It was a very Ocean's 12 plot device in a very Ocean's 11 style movie. 
Yep. You know what yep. I mean? It was very laser dance scene. It was device. very laser dance scene. It was like, because, like, okay, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, and I think I'm getting a lot of feedback on this podcast, which is most people just listen to the first 15 minutes unless they've seen the movie. <laughs> they see the movie, they <laughs> listen to the whole thing. If they haven't, they just listen to the banter. But anyway, to sort of try to sum this up, right? Yeah. We have the the plot is they're trying to sink this guy's hotel because he took money from the mentor of the group and he had a heart attack and almost died. And so they're like trying to sink this new fancy hotel. So the things they do, the outrageous things they do in order to do this, let me recount for you. They have a drill underneath the hotel that costs $36 million to make a man-made earthquake to get people out. They send two people down to Mexico to actually make the dice magnetic, right? Like they've put all the thoughts in the world. And they fail horribly, by the way. And they fail horribly. No, they don't fail, but that was a funny plot line, I thought. That was, it was a funny plot line. It was strange. It's like, you guys are so They were just taking the piss, you know, like listeners again. So they send Casey Affleck and his brother down there. One of them goes down there. It yeah. starts a revolution. <laughs> and the workers, they realize the workers are being paid like shit. And so they start a revolution and like basically start a workers union. Right. Which was funny. And you're like, wait a minute. Because their only task that they had was to go down there and put magnets in the dice so that the dice would be loaded. Yeah. But while they were down there and about to do the magnets and the dice thing, they realized they were being paid shitty. And so they start a workers revolution <laughs> yeah. real quick. The they- whole factory goes on strike. And then... Um, <laughs> They like fight. The... Didn't somebody have to die? Like, didn't they? I don't know I if forget. anybody died, but it was like a really. I thought that was funny. There were a few moments that were like considerably funny and co- entirely unnecessary to the plot line that made me feel like I was in on the joke and on the camaraderie. Yeah. Totally. Of the gang, which is in Ocean's Eleven. The, I mean, the Ocean's Twelve. The problem with that was. I felt like I was watching them joke around and I was on the outside. On this one, they yes. threw it to me a few times where I was like, okay, these people are goofy and and they are considering me as a viewer in their goofiness. Like the whole Oprah thing. Yeah, and I sort of thought that Ocean's 12 thought they overestimated my desire to watch rich people do fun stuff that rich people do. Yeah, exactly. They mistaken my love of gambling and heists for my love of being rich. Exactly. I, like, I want to see cool, clever stuff. And that's what Ocean 13 had in it. Ocean yeah, Fair's- and and again, like, it's entirely implausible. Um, and you can't really tear it apart as a movie. But, like, in the genre, like, we now, since there's three of these that we've seen back to back, we have to, like, review it within its own genre of the oceans movies right don't you think yeah, exactly so within that i'm like thank you for giving me these humorous points mm-hmm. um in fact you know what let me quote the ew really quick because i think okay. they sum it up well oceans 13 returns to the first film's frictionless comedy of attitude the movie is a witty celebration of process using Danny's casino scam to make a comment on the world he's out to defeat, the world of technology, of systems that now rules us all. 
In a world ruled by process, is compassion still real or is it just another scam? In Ocean 13, it is deviously and merrily both. Because their wow. review was, the whole nod to this was like, it would be impossible to bring this, down this casino because it's all technology driven and it's all computers. But Ocean and his team do like real practical things. They don't ever employ a, com a computer. Yeah. Except for the uh, love potion number nine, which didn't make any fucking sense Oh, yeah, bringing it back to why I hated it. It's like they do all these really hardcore, feasible, like rel not feasible things, but like things that exist, you know, like that could plausibly yeah. happen. That potion does not exist. <laughs> that is nope. a movie trope. And I hated it. And I hated how the I hated how she was acting. And I hated how he was wearing a fake nose, which apparently was a direct nod to Soderbergh, who has a big nose. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, yeah, that Oprah scene, though, was pretty funny. I like that. Brad, they, they were just watching Oprah. The, yeah, and they really brought it around in the end, too. That was yeah. a real, you had to be there in 2007. That's back when Oprah was, like, the queen of the world. Yeah, and then I saw something recently that was like, why are we listening to Oprah about marriage advice and, like, child-rearing advice and <laughs> stuff like that when she has neither? Because, That's a good point. Well, I'll tell you why. Because some people are m more special than others. <laughs> Oprah is special. She's she a queen figured of the out ages. how to be special, and she is special. She's special. Some people what are better than did, other people. What year did um, Tom Cruise jump on her couch? Was that like 2005 or seven? Oh, I don't know. It was when he was trying to convince the world that he was a straight man who was in love with his wife. So probably around the time Surrey was born. Yeah, which is so funny. Oh, my God. My friend called, messaged me the other day. You know, another thing about this podcast is people text like, oh, my God, did you see this Brad Pitt thing? Or like, have you seen this Brad Pitt thing? And now that he has a new movie coming out, people are texting me all the time. My friend Joey, I was telling him that. And then like two weeks pass and I get a message. He's like, oh, my God, did you hear that Surrey and Shiloh have their own podcast? <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. But it was so perfect because that was my reaction. We're... And I was like, oh, my God, serious. <laughs> you know, who would be their biggest fans? Obviously. They need to have guests on. And we are we would they would hate us. Probably. They would hate us. They would hate us. Brad would like us. Brad would like us. I don't know. I'm so curious. I feel like. OK, here's another point I was going to make. When I was watching him, I was like, damn, he's so hot. I have a real legitimate crush on him. You know, because I vacillate, like, do I have a crush on him? Am I even a fan of his? Is he a friend of mine? Where do I stand on the spectrum? And it changes every week. This week, I was like, I have a crush on him. And he's my celebrity crush right now. I did week. think that he looked, wow, how original. Someone asks you, your celebrity crush. And you're like, hmm, Brad Pitt. <laughs> but he's not normally. He never has been. And Until isn't this that week. weird, though? Like, it's it does sound a little bit weird to say that your celebrity crush is Brad Pitt. Mm. Now, I mean, not for us, but for, no. like, in general. People don't normally say that because he's so, like, he's such a, like, stereotypically hot guy that you don't really mm, say but let's he's your bring celebrity it back crush. To, like, let's bring it back to Thelma and Louise. Let's bring it back to Fight Well, that's Club. when it's okay to say he's your celebrity yeah. crush. Well, now he, he's lost a little bit of luster. Like... 
The thing was, I think he got so tabloidy that he lost street cred. But he, he's so hot. Yeah, he did. It he wasn't went back his to, fault. You know, he went back to Bleach Tips for this role. It had been a while. Yeah, well, you know what? It's still okay for him to do that because it's sort of – now it's sort of just a Brad Pitt thing, you know? Yeah. Bleach Tips is kind of like his thing. He owns it. Yeah. I was thinking about bleaching my hair. Um, I think you look I great think... with bleached hair, Michael. I genuinely do think so. You should Aww. bleach just the bottom of your mustache. I was thinking – oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> I was thinking about bleaching half of my head, mm. bleaching – Half of my mustache and half of my eyebrow because I only have one. Mm. <laughs> you know what's funny? Between me and my boyfriend, we have one eyebrow. <laughs> what do you mean? He has no eyebrows. He shaves his eyebrows. Oh, so you have the eyebrow for both of you. I have one eyebrow for both of us. Anyway, um, let's I have see. one thing to say. Okay. That w- I actually learned something from this movie. I never thought I would learn anything from a movie. Such as these, I never have in the history of the Oceans movies. But at one point, somebody refers to them as confidence men. Mm. And con man is short for confidence man. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. What the fuck? That's so cool. I want to be a con woman. A con because I know. I, I went through a phase where I was like super like, this is so stupid. I was super into con, like conning, like not like I was a con man, but like I just thought it was really fascinating. Was this at um, Bible camp or? No, this was post Bible camp when I had rejected <laughs> God and I had learned that there's other things in the world like con men and how interesting. Confidence men. And confidence men. And well, because they gain your confidence and then they steal your shit because you're confident in that. That is so cool. I am a confidence woman because I have a lot of confidence. I feel like a con man sometimes because I convince people that I can do something that I only can Mm. kind of do. Welcome to my entire career forever and always. It's called imposter syndrome, though. I'm like, I'm half imposter woman and half confidence man. Where it's like, at work, when I'm like talking to very important people that I shouldn't be, I'm like, I should not. Why are you listening to me? You have no reason to listen to me. When somebody entrusts me with a lot of money and then they go and they go, well, how do you think we should do this? And I just hear myself start talking and telling them how to do something. And I'm like, who am I? Who am I? What am I saying? Yeah, same. I am. I am a confidence woman in that way. So I guess I get imposter syndrome when I'm doing it. But then afterward, I turn around and I look at it and go, I'm a con man because I didn't know what I was doing. Well, but I you're still a con man before and after, and you're an imposter man during. During. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's the case for most people until they're like, have a few kids behind them and like a lot of money, and they're like, oh. The thing is, I wouldn't feel like a con man or an imposter if I was doing something, a job that I've done a ton of times. But the thing is, some so many jobs that you and I do are new they're to us. Yeah, they're, they're different, different every time. So yeah. it's a little bit like you're. What are we talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking. Let's, Here's what, the problem with doing a third movie in a franchise. It's like we're doing everything in our power to not talk about the movie. Tell me a few fun facts about it, though. Why don't you? I mean, all right, I'll try. Let's see. <laughs> Matt Damon was already in London when they shot. Yeah, that, this, that is probably, this is probably the funnest fact. 
this is as far as facts go this is (laughs) the level of fun that we should be having matt damon (laughs) also of born identity fame was shooting born identity out there part of the born series so Um, technically jason Bourne was in that scene when he was supposed to be in london and it wasn't matt damon right right so um there's that. I already said that Julie Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones didn't want to be in it unless they had a bigger role, yeah. um, which unless the script did dicks. allow. I'm glad. Yeah. The problem with them was that they didn't have dicks. They're women. And so, yeah. you know, you can't really put a woman in a movie all yeah. willy nilly. I'm, I'm sorry. You just can't. And also there's so many interviews of like Don Cheadle because this movie premiered at Cannes. It's like Don Cheadle and Brad Pitt talking, like making fun of each other. And over and over again, even in the first movie, they, they refer to the women in such, like, <laughs> those silly gooses. They think they can be one of us, and they ain't, you know? And that's, like, a legitimate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fuckers. It's so sad. But it's now so that weird. Brad Pitt's a father it... to a woman, he has a whole different perspective. Well, and now that Angelina is brainwashing him, he has a whole different perspective, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I... Also saw that this is one of Bernie Mac's final roles before yeah. he died in 2008. Yeah, that's so sad. a bummer. He was a huge phenomenon, that he was guy. only 50. I know, and he was so funny. He, he had the same like calm classiness that I think George Clooney did in a lot of ways, where he was just like naturally calm and funny. He had a je ne sais quoi. Like, there was something magical about him. Every time he was on the screen... Yeah. He, you were watching him intently. You know, it's not like Casey Affleck or some of the other characters where, like, they're on, you're like, okay, they're playing their role. Like, Bernie Mac, every movie and every scene he was ever in, he, like, really dominated the screen. So may he rest in yeah. peace. Um, this is the last movie that Soderbergh shot entirely on film. Mm. Um, may film rest in <laughs> peace. And you know what? Can we just... Let it go at this no. point. No, we can't let it go. I'll never let it go. I love film. It's, a it's different so vibe. silly. It's not silly. It's a different vibes. Well, I mean, maybe I'm just a millennial who wants to destroy everything. I think you are. I love the process of film. I love looking at it. I can always tell when I'm watching it over digital. I think part of the reason that I love it movies provides a is modlin quality. Right. Well, yeah, I get that because like part, I was just going to say that like it depends on why you like watching movies. Some people really like watching movies because it's it feels like art when you're watching it. And in a lot of ways, no matter what, no matter what the movie is, it is a work of art. Mm-hmm. If you can complete a movie and somebody who has no connection to the movie is watching it, mm-hmm. then fucking congratulations, because it's hard to finish a movie and to get people to watch it, mm-hmm. no matter how shitty it is. And I have respect for anyone who can do that. Yeah. So it is a work of art no matter what. But for me... What I look for in movies is like interesting story and interesting and something unique in the way that you're telling a story or portraying a certain feeling. Like if you can invoke a feeling from me um, that makes me feel a way that you wanted me to feel or make me try to understand a perspective that I wouldn't normally understand. I think that is what I like about film. And Sure, so you don't like, care about the way it looks. No, that's not true. Because I was going to say that that does play a part in it. Oftentimes, like portraying that that feeling or that message, a big part of that is going to be the way that it looks and the way that it sounds. Hmm. However, I just 
in my head, and I, it's probably because I'm just – this is just how I am. I just think, why fiddle with all that shit when you can make it almost look the same mm. by not doing that? I will say, though, Roma was fucked up good. Okay, so Roma – it's funny that you chose that movie. Um, for me and for a lot of filmmakers I find myself liking, there is a taking on a challenge that's deeper – there's a there's a process to artistry that is different. So it's like, yeah, sure. Like I can paint on an iPad, but then I don't have to learn to mix the colors with flaxseed and then I don't have to smell the smells of it. It's just for me, for me specifically and I do identify as an artist, like processes are admirable. Yeah. And and make me appreciate the storytelling so much more. I I mean and I this isn't a, this is like this is not to make a point. This is has to be a personal thing. And it goes back to art at its core. Like what like we could get really heavy here. Like what defines art? Well, like a lot of people don't under, a lot of people I know do not understand why I like Rothko for instance, right? A lot of people just see bricks of color and they go what the fuck ever. Yeah. You know? And there's a spectrum there. But I see the paint and I see the time and I see the effort and I fall right into it and I can stand in front of that painting for hours. So it's like to each their own. I just think that you should never say, why don't we get rid of something? Like, why don't we just because it's like really okay, not fair. for you to decide. You're still watching them. And also, by the way, most of the movies we've watched in this podcast have been on film. Yeah, true. Well, that's because the switch to digital was pretty recent and the, the making digital look comparable to film is recent because it, it wasn't until like after 2010 that digital actually looked close to as good as film looks yeah um i also just love for me especially since there's so much content in general being made i love consideration and i love i was just thoughts. gonna say that i was gonna yeah. say film because it's such a slow form of recording like a form of capturing image and it's such a methodical and deliberate thing that what you choose to put on the screen is slower and that's something that was i thought really interesting about roma was that i like a fast-paced movie with fast dialogue and interesting I characters seen, and i fell asleep during roma so i can't really speak to it but it did look it's great. just that it's so slow it's beautiful and yeah. it's so slow you very slowly watch this is the only thing that film school actually taught me in terms of watching movies is that when something is slow it's because you're supposed to feel that slowness you're supposed to sit with it and the slow feeling is an important part of it we sound like such fucking douchebags right now but it's i don't know fuck it this is the most no, i mean i think this is the least gonna, funny episode we've done because this movie is if we're gonna you know, spend if we're gonna spend hours a week talking about movies then i think we have to especially like with such flippancy i think it's important to have these conversations like Ain't nobody listening to this far. And if you are, I salute you, my friend. Then you must like film. Um, and if I'll talk about film forever. I far... also, I shoot still photography. I shoot on film all the time. And people ask me, like, why? It, and all every time I debate about this, it's like, but the outcome is comparable. Like, you can get such a much better shot quicker, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, because I enjoy the process and the consideration of film. I enjoy the process and the, and yeah. the consideration of 
reading a book as opposed to a Kindle. And these are all personal choices. So I just think it's like, who cares? Anyway, I we digress so deeply. And we're 40 minutes But you know in, what? I think, I think we should <laughs> post on our Instagram and our Twitter, like, what people think. Because, and if you have thoughts, more thoughts on this, feel free to email us. Yeah. Thepitspot at gmail.com. Um, oh, no. This is thepitspot at gmail.com. But if, if I would love to hear what people's thoughts are on like how film relates to art in general and whether or not digital should just fully take over because I still think, I mean, I mean, I still think digital should just take over. It's such a different, but it kind of has, it's like such a different medium. It has. Movies it aren't shot. On- has. So that's the other thing. It's like, if you look at a um, Paul Thomas Anderson, like if you, if you look at um, the phantom thread, for instance, in a world oh. that is all digital, to see a movie that you know is shot on film without knowing you saw or seeing it on film, you're like, you just elevates your experience because you're like, wow, it does. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not that I'm saying that digital is worse. I'm just saying like in this world, to go that extra bit of a mile for me makes me appreciate it more. Let's talk about this on our other podcast, Film 101, starring Chelsea and Michael. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk back. Let's bring it back to Brad Pitt and Ocean's 13, which is really why we are here. Um, <laughs> so let's get down to I mean, I'm out of fun facts. We're getting down to the ones that aren't actually that fun. Well, you know, we're already 41 minutes in. I could go straight into ratings here. If you're in. Let's oh, do it. Because we already did budget, didn't we? Well, kind of. But let's um, I'll, I can give you just do you want to do ratings first or, or numbers first? Let's do numbers, and then we'll shoot into ratings and okay, then into so, ratings. So, like I said at the beginning, um, the budget for this movie was eighty-five million dollars, which is ten million more than Ocean's Eleven, and about thirty million less than Ocean's Twelve, mm-hmm. and about twenty million less than Ocean's Eight. Uh, its opening weekend it made thirty-six point one million, opening in the number one spot. So it's pretty good opening weekend. Um, at the same time, Pirates of the Caribbean: At World's End was out, which is mm. number three. Knocked Up was out. Oh, my goodness. Judd yeah. Apatow banging onto the scene in the early 2000s. Yeah, that was, that was a great movie, too. And that, that yeah. one sort of game for comedies. I want to watch um, that movie right now. It's <laughs> a great movie. Yeah. Surf's Up was out. Shrek 3 was out. Spider-Man 3 was out. A lot of, tri- uh, a lot of uh, third movies. More like 2000 and snoozing. Truly, except for Knocked Up. I yeah. mean, anyway... Okay, so its total domestic gross was 117.2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made its money back with uh, some on the end, and then its total worldwide gross was 311.3 million. Hmm. Fun fact: This is the worst performing of the Oceans movies, all of them, including eight. I know it's also the worst Oceans podcast we've done. Oh, we didn't even give a shout out to our correspondent Joe Stapleton, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, He's in in Russia right now. He's in Russia. Wow, really? I thought he was in New York. He's in Russia. He's in Russia. Yeah, he's traveling as fuck, so he can't do it, which is so sad. Um, He would have made this way more interesting. Yeah. (laughs) We would have talked about film a lot less, that's for sure. Um, Uh, Also, we didn't even mention that Al Pacino's in this movie. Yeah, fucking Al Pacino's in this movie, and he does a great job, and I loved watching him get taken down. Honestly, okay, let me get into ratings because – we haven't even we really didn't talk about this movie at all. So no, hardly at all. IMDb gives it a six point nine out of ten. Uh-huh. That's up from six point five out of ten from Ocean's Twelve. 
Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 70%. That's up from 65% for Motions 12. Roger Ebert, on the other hand, <laughs> went down a star. Went down a half star for this movie. He had Oceans 12 at 3 out of 4, and this one at 4 out of 4. I mean, at 2.5 out of 4. Oh, wow. And here's an interesting thing about EW, Mm -hmm. okay? So EW has a box at the top of every one of their reviews, has a box at the top that, like, gives the year the movie came out, the budget, and then their rating Mm -hmm. in a big yellow, like, octagon. And the big yellow octagon of this movie said C+. And then always at the end of their review, like the reviewer will be like, this is my point home, score. He said A-. minus. So I actually don't know where Entertainment Weekly falls on the scale because it has C+, and A-. minus. Here's what we do know. They're messy. They're real messy. <laughs> No, they're not. We've been agreeing with them, actually, for the most part. What's the mean between C plus and A minus? Just a flat out B, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it's a B. All right. So let's just call it a B because EW don't know what shit to do it. Well, did the did the EW review give any insight to how they might feel? Yeah, they loved it. I guess I, the review was closer to A minus than it was to a C plus. OK, well, now what's your review it. out of 10? Um, let's see. I'm hold on. I'm just making a little chart to record our reviews. M O C G. Uh, the movie overall, I would give it a. God, it's kind of hard to say because like it like uh uh what do you call it? Well, how did you feel about it without the number? Like you liked it objectively. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm trying to find. The word objectively. Yeah. Uh, like objectively, it's not a bad movie. It's actually fun. It's good. The the weird. Oh, also, I in during that Oprah part, I was into it until Brad did that weird sniffle. It was so it was so forced. I didn't like it, and it kind of ruined the moment for me. So there's a few things like that where I was just like, this is like so forced and weird. Like the pheromone thing was super weird. Oh, fuck that. I, I did like though that they had like that that it wasn't a heist in a traditional sense. It was more like we're just trying to make other people win big money. Also, that weird machine that can identify if people's reactions are genuine or not. I, that was weird too. But I mean, you have to remove yourself entirely from reality in order to watch these movies. Right, but like Ocean's Eleven, you didn't have to remove yourself entirely. Yeah, from you're reality. right. You're right. Um, you had you still had to a little bit, but yeah. like not this. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a six and a half. You know what? I'm going to give it a six and a half, too. I laughed. I genuinely laughed. I felt I was in on the joke. I felt like it was a good romp. Like, it just has to be watched with such a suspended belief system that, like, whatever. I'm I'm less annoyed that they made this movie than the last one. So 6.5 for sure. Exactly. And then how did you feel about Brad Pitt's looks? I mean, we're back to the old Rusty. You know, I prefer a shaved head. It was neither here nor there to me. Although I did have a crush on him this week. I'll give him a 5.8. Okay. I mean, I thought he was handsome. It was just pretty str- pretty, pretty, uh, pretty strand standard. <laughs> <laughs> pretty standard Brad Pitt. Yeah. I'm going to give him a I'm going to give him a 6.5. Mm, okay. 
That's pretty. I didn't think he was. Well, I didn't think he was like ugly. He looked good. Oh, there was that moment where he like dressed up as the seismologist and put on a long wig. We could give him points for that. Yeah, if you want, if you were into that look. And his performance, I thought his performance. It's fucking absurd. Yeah, no, he doesn't always look good. Well, I mean, he can. Yeah, all right. I know him. All right. I know him better than I know my own goddamn self. (laughs) (laughs) How about his acting? It was pretty standard Rusty. It was good. I love her Rusty. Give him him a seven. I'm going to give him a 7.7. Nice. Yeah, it it wasn't extraordinary but and because he didn't have a big role so it's kind of hard there was a small sample size but it was good you know i was i was into it yeah um not a whole lot to say really about this in general it's just like a a good movie that's you know a little bit of a fantasy but it's still fun yeah and thus concludes our ocean series congratulations michael we did it we did it and And it's kind of a a big deal that we've done this we have done, done all the oceans We've done all the oceans. We've done some of Brad Pitt's most iconic movies. Those are in the rearview mirror now. They we are in the rearview mirror. Moving forward. Two, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. And I genuinely love this movie from what I remember. And we've talked about this before. If I had to go back to any time in history, I would go back to this time in history. So I'm very much looking forward to watching it this week. I also am looking forward to watching it because I've never seen it. So, And he has black hair in this movie. is something we've never seen before. So stay tuned for that. Okay. And stay tuned for 2008. Or actually 2007. Yeah, it's a 2007 still. So that's nice. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it. So follow us on all of our socials. And we love you. And goodbye. And email us. And goodbye. And until next time, my friends. Yeah. Until next time.